Calvin Jones here, calling in to tell you that this episode of the Eclectic Gamers Podcast is brought to you by the Roanoke Pinball Museum in Roanoke, Virginia. The Roanoke Pinball Museum is an interactive museum dedicated to the science and history of pinball. Their mission is to cultivate curiosity in science, art, and history through pinball while preserving and honoring its role in American culture. The museum is open every day except Monday and houses over 65 machines with models ranging from 1932 to 2018. Roanoke Pinball Museum. It's not a turd. Welcome to the Collective Gamers Podcast. Today is Sunday, October 4th. This is episode 125. I'm Tony. And I'm Dennis. And we... Get to talk about pinball and video games. Yay. Yay, indeed. What's been going on, Tony? And we get to talk about pinball and video games that absolutely nobody's talked about over the course of the last two weeks because everything happened the day after we came out. Yep. And that's not going to happen again to us. It's not going to happen again this week. (laughs) No, uh, I've been really busy with work-related issues um, for the last couple weeks, so I haven't done a whole lot of anything. I've barely played video games or barely between work and the fact that I had, uh, two books that I've been looking forward come out four days apart. So I kind of burned through one to get into the other. I've been reading a lot more than is even normal for me. So I haven't done much of anything. I've, I've read and finished, uh, book four of the Baba verse series, Heaven's River. Uh, I've started the 17th Dresden Files book, Battleground. Um, I've played my normal games that have my, like, dailies and stuff. And I've watched uh, Lower Decks and The Great British Baking Show and uh, The Boys. That's literally been my entire last two weeks, basically is staying caught up on all the stuff that we're watching and that's it. Yeah. That's, it's not much different for me. I hadn't started a new video game yet after finishing outer worlds. So I, I've still like weekly done some overwatch, uh, the, you know, some phone game stuff, uh, got stay caught up with uh lower decks, stay caught up with the boys, uh, watched a few movies and that's it. Uh, yeah. just it's just yeah. been crazy. It's it, it's it's been nuts uh overall. I have uh uh I know I've got a just a tag in the video game section, but it doesn't matter. Uh the second was the release date for uh Star Wars Squadrons. Mm, and yes. I have purchased that game. Oh and I have installed that game. But I've mm. not started it not even not even once yet. I <laughs> I did, I installed it, or I not installed it, but, well, yeah, I installed it last night, but just before I went to bed, and I was like, maybe I'll play in the morning, and then when I got up this morning, I worked on my, 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 my phone game stuffs, and, uh, finishing some stuff up, prepping for the podcast, and then just catching up on all the, the various dramas and stuff that I've missed throughout the week, and then it's like, oh, hey, it's time to record a podcast. <laughs> yep. Well... I guess we'll go ahead and we will get going with the main meat of that podcast recording. And we'll open with what we hinted at in the intro, which is about us 
just coming just coming out a little too soon before another big disclosure happens. So in that regard, uh, moving into our pinball segment, the first news item is Jersey Jack Pinball. Their next reveal is scheduled for tomorrow, Monday, October 5th, 2020. So yay us. We'll be the last to talk about it <laughs> because we're putting things out on time as usual. So uh, this is going to be the Guns N' Roses reveal. I bet there are still people insisting that it's going to be Toy Story. I, it can't. No, they won't do that to me. It has to be Guns N' Roses. It doesn't make any sense for it to be anything else. It's going to be Guns N' Roses. Here's the thing. If it is Toy Story, no, this will have been be. the biggest troll of uh, all time. I'll be mad. I, and it would be it, it would be, it would be hilarious. If they did they it, I might refuse to I might refuse to cover <laughs> it on the next episode. If they were but to do that to me. But if but if they did it, it would mean that for once it really was the best kept secret in pinball. Yeah, I guess that's you have a good point. You have a good point. But so anyway, uh, stay tuned for our next episode where we will talk about what is assuredly not Toy Story uh, <laughs> and what JJP has revealed. Yep, uh, the Weird Al Yankovic game. Hey, that would be fun. Hey, that's that a music pin I could get behind. Yeah. The uh, moving on, here's a topic originally I planned to cover in the last episode. And then when we arranged to have Carrie and Nick on to talk about solid state pinball, I sort of scrapped my uh, my show plan that I was originally working on and I did not carry it over into the news. And that is regarding Ranger in the Ruins, the new game that was designed by Nick Baldridge uh, from Gaming on 10 podcast and uh, for amusement only the EM and Bingo Pinball podcast. For a Multimorphic's uh, P3 platform. So I do have a link in the show notes to the This Week in Pinball deep dive on Ranger in the Ruins. So anyone who wants to really understand more about the game should go there and take a look. It's got photos. It's got descriptions uh, of, of the gameplay and what went into it. Uh, basically, though, it's a, it's a $150 game which by pinball standards is incredibly cheap. However, you do need to already own the uh, P3 platform, which is approximately $10,000. And then you also need to have the cosmic cart racing module for it. So not everyone who initially bought a P3, especially if you initially, initially bought it, uh, cosmic cart racing did not, did not exist when the platform first came out. So you need both. You need the platform right. and you need the module. And then it's an additional $150 to get just Ranger in the ruins. Um, as I noted, Nick Baldridge designed uh, designed the game. He did the obviously the module and layouts already in existence, so he didn't design that aspect. But he did the the rules development, the programming of the game, uh, the graphics of the game, he the sound design, and also the internet capability, which I think is probably the element that's most unique compared to other pinball games when we when we're talking pinball, and that is he has a he has an internet integrated feature involving the uh, ghosts. So when others are playing this game and their P3s are connected to the internet, when they die or lose, uh, when they drain, the ghost data is saved uh, into the cloud. And other players that play on other machines can experience those ghosts. And they interact with them in a way because the ghosts are what provide items. And collecting items is a major part of having success in playing this game. So uh and I think the way the ghosts appear is it's related to like a randomized timer. Uh, and that's when the, the ghost data gets pulled off of the internet. Um, and, but you, you'll have something show up if you're playing locally and not connected uh, on Wi-Fi or something. So, uh, in terms of that, uh, 
it's you go around, you collect these items. Some of the items are good. Some of the items are not good. This falls into a genre which Pinball is not familiar with, but I know you are, Tony, and that's uh, the roguelike. Yeah, uh, I, you could say that I am familiar. What's your favorite roguelike? Mm, I'm going to have to say probably FTL. Okay. Mine's Binding of Isaac. Binding of Isaac is good. Uh, I've heard great I, things about FTL. I still haven't bought it, though. Yeah, no, Binding of Isaac is a lot of fun. I just like FTL a little bit more for the strategy-ish aspects, where Binding of Isaac is a bit more, uh, hmm, how to put it, it's a bit more uh, fast-paced and insane. They're both a lot of fun. Yeah, Binding of Isaac is almost, in some ways, like a run-and-gun. Right. But, uh... A few other things about Ranger in the Ruins I wanted to mention. Uh, game has eight music tracks. There are two multi-ball modes in the game. Uh, and one of the things, because it's so different from what pinball people are familiar with, is I was a little curious, so I did ask Nick about, like, how does game sale, game trading work for something like this? So Nick told me that you cannot transfer your Ranger in the Ruins license to another person. If you were to sell your entire P3, it could go with the P3. Uh, but Otherwise, there's no real way to sell or trade your used game away without giving up the entire platform, which fits with how video games work, as we know. You can't sell yeah. a game out of your Steam account to someone else's Steam account. Uh, but that is different than what most pinball people are used to. Uh, now, that's different for the base game for the modules, because I was wondering, well, what happens if you give someone, like I wanted to sell, I wanted to keep my P3, but sell my Cosmic Kart Racing module, what would happen? When the person who buys the Cosmic Kart Racing module would freely then be able to download Cosmic Kart Racing and get it to work with their P3, but they would have to buy Ranger in the Ruins through the store. Make sense? That makes total sense. Okay. So that's the model. Uh, before moving on, I did want to kind of ask you, how do you, how do you think a game like this would be received in, with a model like this on, on P3? Uh, it's this idea of these uh, third-party developers who are devi designing software only. I want to focus on that. I know third-party developers are allowed to develop modules for P3, but in a scenario like this where someone is saying, here is something you may go and buy, uh, obviously significantly more expensive than a video game would typically be, but significantly cheaper than most stuff is in pinball. You know, this is way less than a topper or even a lot of mods. Um, do, we, do you think that do you think that helps P3? Do you think it moves more P3 units? Do you think it's a good way for people to get into pinball development? I'm just curious. I think that games like this and this this kind of third-party development for P3 is what should probably be the core of P3's future development. I think if P3 concentrated on making modules, uh, just extra different modules that, that could be put out there uh, if they were able to make modules that were actually uh, partially interchangeable so with more than just one module it's like like a module that go, they send you a module but it's actually two type if they could do something like that to give you a bit more variability in the shots but then let people code whatever they want and make their own game and their own rules that is the type of thing that will make P3 more interesting than what it is currently. Hmm. I think that this approach is key to getting people to keep their P3s. 
Uh, and I, I'm not gonna, I don't think that's their biggest, I don't think that's Multimorphic's biggest issue, but I think that's where you really want, that's what the appeal of the platform's supposed to be. It's, hey, the P3 is bolted to the floor, uh, you know, common term with pinball, even though people often end up not really meaning it, but you want, you want P3 to be bolted to the floor because it's a platform. So it shouldn't get stale because there should always be stuff coming out for it. Clearly, given the size of Multimorphic and the pace of which they release modules, they are not putting out the volume to achieve that. So you need third-party developers, in my view, in order to make that attractive. Most of the mini-games that we've seen so far on P3, I do not think help bolt the game to the floor. They're they're at it. They're nice little sweeteners to maybe be like, oh, hey, if I get this and all these modules, I'm going to get rocks and I'm going to get barnyard. And I'm going yeah, but rocks and barnyard aren't strong enough to games for people to to keep the entire ten thousand dollar plus platform. And, and and Ranger and the Ruins might not be either, but it's another substantive thing that people will be like, yes, but I have the you know I've got Cosmic Kart Racing module in. I'm done playing races for the day. Let's just start up Ranger and the Ruins and play that while I've got it turned on. You know, I see the attraction with that. Yeah, no, I th- I think there's a lot of attraction in that. But that, well, I don't think Ranger in the Ruins by itself will help sell units. I think if they've got 15 of these mm, that's or a good 20 point. of these sitting on there. So it's like, oh, you don't, you don't feel like playing heist right now. Uh, that's cool. We've got this whole other game. You can just, you know, key up the menu and go, I want to go play Doodleberry. And now you're playing Doodleberry on the, without doing anything else. And especially if you were looking at with rules that are completely different and, and different goals and different targets, you're playing another game, even though the shots are all identical. Now here's something I should have asked Nick and I wish I did. Uh, but we're recording now, so I'm going to have to speculate. Do Are there demos? I don't think there are, and that's why I'm bringing it up. Um, this is where my video game side hmm. comes out. I'm very uncomfortable being told that I have to spend $150 on something just to try it. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand that. I So I hope they're demos, hmm. and if they're not demos, then I hope they add the ability. To, and we know how to do them. Like Zen Studios... And Pinball Arcade give you the perfect example of you either do a timed demo where the person's allowed to play for, you know, 90 seconds or whatever, or what I think the, the other, the video game pinball people typically do, which is a, the game stops after you reach a certain score. Right. You just need to give them a taste. And the, the reason why I don't think there's a demo is I did watch when Buffalo Pinball streamed this and there was a giveaway, but the giveaway was, I thought a little odd. It was, Someone was going to be randomly, they were going to randomly draw for someone with a P3 to get a, a, a time limited copy. So a demo. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, the giveaway isn't, isn't a copy of the game. It's, I mean, I would have given away a copy of the game to someone watching. <laughs> and I think not, nothing to me quite said, we haven't sold enough P3s yet. Like we can't. <laughs> even be willing to give you away one one viewer who already owns the machine a permanent copy we're just gonna give you one that works for the weekend we're gonna give you the, the idea of a demo is really good uh, normally demos aren't giveaways though don't. normally demos yeah. are what so i mean back when the xbox 360 you won the demo i just I, to me it was it's so different from the video game side because 
back when Xbox 360 was out, and they've, they've loosened on this, and I, I understand because it can be a chore for programmers, but when, when the Xbox 360 was the current gen console, Microsoft mandated any game that was sold through the digital store had to have a demo, had to, for free, that people could try. I shouldn't right. have to say for free with a demo, but apparently you do. But if this is going to be more and more of a thing, I re- you know this is this Dennis's personal recommendation. I really think Multimorphic needs to uh, consider having demos available so that people who own the modules can actually download and try the game. Because just, I mean, I don't know about you, um, and maybe it's just how I was brought up, but I would be really pissed if I downloaded Ranger in the Ruins and hated it and it spent one hundred fifty bucks. And couldn't get a refund. And couldn't sell yeah. it. Couldn't sell it unless I sold the whole system. I mean, and that's thing is even in even Steam and the various other video game uh, digital libraries have gotten to the point where they have very robust um, return policies. And uh, and there may be a return policy with Multimer. I did not explore that either. So I don't want to say that. I'm just saying this would be what would upset me if I didn't have the, a demo and I didn't have the ability to return the game in very short order. So, so right. I'm just, you know, because this is new that, you know, with with Multimorphic, we're blending things from the pinball side and things from the video game side. And there's stuff that flies in pinball that does not fly with video game people and vice versa. Isn't that true? Oh, yes. It is very that true. So anyway, uh, congratulations, Nick. I thought the game looked fun. I think the idea of a roguelike, uh, by default, it's one ball play, uh, till ends game, which, you know, Nick, Nick crammed in his EM philosophies into this <laughs> title, which, hey, it's his design. He might as well uh, yeah. g- give people a taste for that stuff. I think that's where P3 can shine. So I think it's cool that it came out. I do too. Well, uh, another pinball topic, fun with bonus. So this kind of broke when a lot of the deep root pinball stuff broke a couple weeks ago. That is Steve Bowden. Uh, he's decided to transition his fun with bonus site. Uh, he had been doing daily pinball updates on it for over eight years. And so he has decided that it's not going to be daily anymore. It will still exist. And it's also going to have more of a focus on stuff going on with deep root because he does rules design for deep root pinball and so uh fun with bonus i would go to the website occasionally i rely much more on the fun with bonus uh facebook pages actually than i do going to the site but obviously you know this i think some people are are disappointed i think after eight years i totally understand steve shaking this up no i i can see it and uh, i i i you know, I guess in a way, I'm a little. I, I suppose I like the others. I'm a little sad because change is difficult, and it, it was always nice to know there was going to be the the fun with bonus update. But yeah, he's he's still gonna. It's not going to be pure deep root. He's still keeping the pinball and uh, dictionary and all that. So I think it. I think it's fine. I think it is going to. I think it can work out with the shift. It, it it's his side. He can do whatever he wants exactly. with it. Exactly. I mean. <laughs> but I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is. Uh, I, I supportive of, of him wanting to shift it up, uh, and, uh, thank you for eight years of doing what it had been Agreed. because those were, that's a long time. And during a lot of those years, there wasn't a lot of other options to really stay informed on pinball. You know, there wasn't a this week in pinball. Um, you basically had fun with bonus and pinball news back when you go way back there and pinball news is not daily. 
So let's go to our final pinball topic, Tony. It's the one I know you've been dying to discuss. Oh, have I? Have I? Y- really? You have. I know you have. But we're in an we're in an awkward position because everyone else has talked about this already, <laughs> and I don't yeah. want to be. And too- you've talked about this in multiple other settings but already. I have, but not. I have. Okay. Yes, the the right answer is what you said. I have. <laughs> However. <laughs> So I have I have now spoken about Deep Root Pinball's uh, reveal four times, but counting or not counting this one, counting, not counting this one, but counting our last episode where we were ready for the reveal and we talked about the readiness for the reveal. Yeah, and then I had the pinball show readiness for the reveal the same day. So that was almost that's the, that was the twofer. And then I was on, and I do have a link in the show notes to this. I was on the Loser Kid Pinball podcast with Zach Minnie as well, where we talked about the day the reveal was supposed to happen, and then there was no reveal. It was a non-reveal, and they announced how there wasn't going to be a reveal. So talked about that. And then it was the next day that this info dump happens, on, which is also linked in the show notes, uh, the, uh, the details about Deep Root that um, This Week in Pinball was allowed to post after some images of Retro Atomic Zombie Adventureland leaked after the announcement that the reveal was now a non-reveal happened. Do you think if that leak had had not happened that this info dump would have happened? I do not. I don't either. And so last week's pinball show was the only episode where I actually spoke at all about what was in the info dump. What I'm going to, I'm just, I, it's not tagged as a deep dive. I'm just going to call it the info dump. I know Jeff didn't label it like that. Its official title is Deep Root Pinball, Platform Pinball, Pin Armor, Ecosystem, Future Games, and Future Plans. I think info dump is a pretty succinct way of describing that title. Yeah. I, I, I think that's definitely cuts it down. So I've got those links in the show notes for folks. I want to just walk through the info dump itself, you know, the meat, this is what most of the other things have covered. So we don't have to spend tons of time on it. But then I think where we can have an interesting discussion, because I know you have thoughts on it, Tony, is about how this whole thing was handled. I don't mean the the info dump itself. I mean, bringing in the the deep six, as they call themselves, the, uh, you know, deeper's decision to bring them out, the decision initially to unre- to not reveal and announce it, then the decision to reveal. And I think there's a lot there that was that's mismanaged and is worth talking about. I, I, I would say so. I, Spoilers. I, I, I don't I, think I, it was handled well. I, I, I have I have my rant cap on. OK. Oh, this is going to be oh, this is going to be a juicy EGP. All right, so let's start. Uh, let's start with uh, just some of the details from the info dump itself. So, uh, the first thing is uh, cabinet, the cabinet back box. So, I the the the, the I'm trying like some of it. Like I already knew what the DMD idea. Uh, I shouldn't say the DMD. I already knew what the display was supposed to kind of look like from the prototype. They uh, they did not. We have not seen images of the, I guess, standard, uh, the low tier arcade edition, the, what their pro is, um, which is supposed to look more like a traditional back box the, the, with the hinge bar. Instead, we saw what it, I call. It, so it's not, it doesn't look like the aquarium. Well, no, it still has, it still has the panoramic wrapped, uh, backlit artwork. 
So that part still looks like an aquarium. The part that's different is how the display isn't on the like two pegs and then the uh, translate is above it on two more pegs. Right. What I call the Aftor style. Because I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of Aftor. It was a, there's a pinball parts manufacturer called Wyco and they made a pinball machine in the 80s. It's actually the first alphanumeric displayed pinball machine. Um, and it's called Aftor. And it kind of looks like that with the stat, like the back box is on like these posts. So if you ever go to IPDB, you can take a look at Aftor. But, um, anyway, so yeah, so it's the stacking style with that, but it's still no, the panoramic back box. Uh, yeah, that's on all of the, so I guess, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, yeah, on any of it. The, I know the, there are a lot of people who raged against this whole back box design. I, it doesn't bother me. Uh, I think it looks a little goofy. Uh, I have questions about how well it will hold up and how well it folds and moves and stuff, but I don't actually have a huge issue with it. Just like the whole aquarium wraparound translite thing, I don't have a problem with. And honestly, 100% honesty, I kind of like this narrow, wide uh, LED because it gives you the feel of the old DMDs while giving you the abilities of the LED. So it doesn't look like they just strapped a computer monitor into the back box. I kind of like oh. it. Oh, I, I see. You mean the LCD display? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I've seen LED, LCD. Well, LCD, it might be yeah. LED tech. I don't know. It's probably. Uh, it, it's, it's, also, it's plasma. Uh, it's liquid but, plasma. <laughs> but, but I, I like, I, I actually appreciate that. Uh, it, it gives it, a feel that I enjoy. Uh, as for the rest of that, mm, I can take it or leave it. I, I would like to see an actual picture of the normal one to see which one I like more. Yeah, I, I would as well. I have a suspicion I will probably like the more traditional, and I think that's just biased towards the traditional. Quite frankly, right. I mean, I can I I can admit that of myself. I uh, the aquarium style translate. I I I'm fine with it. It's, it's, it's different. It's weird. My lineup's full of different and weird. You know, I've got premier game with, uh, where you've got the speakers above the translate. And some people think that looks really weird. And it's like, it's everyone had their own different style. It's, I, the after go, go with the posts. I, I just, it's a little, as I'm assuming it's not flimsy. That would be my, that'd would, be my I, functional I concern, not. but. I, it's a little, I think it's a little weird to have, like, I don't see the value in having the space between it and the display, but like you, I do like the display. I like the display dimensions. I like the idea of having the panorama style. Mm -hmm. I see value in the more traditional shape, like that Stern does and JJP does. But what I like about this is not only does it, is it reminiscent in a fun way of the DMD era, it also, means you still have a very significant translite portion. Like that's my big problem with JJP games is I don't care for their translites at all because I feel that they've given way too much real estate to the screen. Yeah, I, I think I, I think in JJP they they either need to go smaller and give more translite or just get rid of the translites entirely and just make that entire thing a screen top to bottom. Yeah, and it's like when it's turned off, it's, it's so boring when it looks like oh I just have a TV mounted on a yeah on a pinball machine. Whereas Stern's size is okay. 
but yeah, when you look at it, when I look at it, I'm like, yeah, you went with uh, you. So you went with a standard laptop monitor, right? right. I get it. I, I totally get it. I, I wouldn't. I'm not even critiquing that they should change it. I think they're doing what makes sense for them. But this, at least, it has good a uh, good throwback feel to it, while still being big enough, I think, to be meaningful on, on information and stuff. I mean, I get that the bigger the screen, the more and more stuff you can constantly keep up on display. And some high-end competitive players might really like that they don't have to cycle and say, how many more Oompa Loompas do I need to collect or whatever. But I don't read most of that, quite frankly. Well, I'm actively playing. I barely look at it. Yeah, I I prefer things like with it to say like, or especially say it like ball one locked. Like I need visual cues or audio yeah. cues uh, and well, little and brief visuals thing. As long as there's a way to display it when you trap up, it's not a big deal. And that's just like that. I mean, how often do you see even high level players uh, playing Jurassic Park or Star Wars missing the shooting stuff because there's no audio and it's just up there on the screen and they're not actively looking at the screen. So they'll miss, you know, the, 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 the Raptor running across the screen or the stormtroopers all lined up for you to go hit the shoot button and stuff like that. Because you can't stare at the screen unless you're one of those people. And there are full on people out there who's, who, who can have a, a, uh, they don't focus on as small a parts inside their field of vision and they can track things in a much wider pattern than some people than, than most people can. But I know for me, I'm not one of those people. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, I think because we talked about the difference in the, the uh, designs. Uh, so there are going to be different models and I, I'm kind of, kind of just follow the, the TWIP uh, listing. So we're going to talk about that a little bit more later. So people are like, what do you mean by like different editions? Well, we will get into that, but I don't want to cover it in the back box section. Uh, another item, though, that was shown when they were showing the back box and cabinet, uh, lift glass. So they have, and this is true for all the models, it's going to be a, a hinged assisted lift and drop glass frame and lock bar seal. I am perfectly fine with this. I've heard uh, and read complaints from people who are concerned about uh, – how hard it will be to replace the glass if something happens to the glass in such the setup. And I'm sure we'll find out eventually if there hasn't been an info dump already. But honestly, most of the time I've heard or talked to people where there's been an issue with the glass being broken, it's because they pulled the glass out and had it set down while they were working on the machine and it fell or someone stepped on it or something happened to it. I, I, I think this is just an obvious thing that as I recall from other stuff I've read was done at one time in the past. Yes. Uh, yes. Bally did this starting in the late sixties and did it for several years. The only question is, uh, how annoying and how hard is it going to be to replace those gas shocks? Cause anybody with a, with, with an older hood car or, or with their hood or trunk on gas shocks know that those don't last. Hmm. And that, that's been a big concern is, yeah, they've got that like hydraulic uh, gas shock style to hold the, the glass up, which the old valleys did not do that. I believe they would just use a kickstand style. Um, another thing that I'm curious about would be the – so I agree with you. The replacement of the glass, yeah, it's going to be more challenging because – it's not just slide in, slide out. But like you noted, it should also need to be replaced far less. It, 
You so have- yeah, it'll probably take some work, but you shouldn't need to do it. So I mean, already uh, I, I don't hear stories from people about how oh I broke my pinball glass again. It doesn't happen all the time. And when it does happen, like I said, it's almost always, oh, I had the glass out and it fell. Or I had the glass out and when I was moving something else, I stepped on it and snapped it. Yeah, uh, I know some people have also raised the concern about uh, low ceilings and lifting the glass. uh, But this seems to lift in the same manner that the play field does. So I I understand that that could very well be a challenge. But uh, if you can't lift your play field up, in a way, I'm, I'm, I mean, I guess it depends how you choose to work on the pinball machine. It's like a pinball machine should be in a room where you can lift the play field up. Maybe I should just phrase it like that. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is looking at the one picture on, on this weekend pinball, it doesn't look like the top of it's that much higher than what the top of a topper would be. Yeah. But I, I, I do understand that a lot of people, I wear in my, I can pull them out. So I have access in the higher area of the ceiling, but due to my HV, my HVAC. True. Ducks where I line up my games. Like when I had data East Jurassic Park, I probably could not have fit its topper there. For right. For example. Whereas I probably could fit a stern pinball topper on one of my stern pros. It just, so, you know, it does depend a little bit, but, but yeah, I agree. It's not much higher. It's not much higher than that. Um, the, uh, yeah, overall, I think the idea of lift glass, I actually, I like the idea. I, my, my concern would be more, uh, on price, but I mean, we can talk about that later. The, the other thing uh, that I would wonder about, and this may not be an issue, it may be fine, but where Bally had an issue, I think, was when Bally did it, the way they did the glass was smaller than standard. So you, had, you couldn't just get pinball glass, you would have to order a custom cut sheet if you needed it replaced. I want to know if this uses the standard sheet of pinball glass. If it does, then great, because you know you have a cheap, easy option if you were to somehow damage it or want to change it for Invisi glass or something. If it doesn't, that makes this a major negative in my mind. Yeah. Well, cause that's where I think I could see people be like, I want to know how hard it is to change the glass because I want to put Invisi glass in because I don't want to see glare. Right. Well, Invisi glass is, I mean, that's like, it's not like I can't call Olathe glass and get Invisi glass. I don't think I can call them and get a, a custom sheet of tempered glass cut. I've done it before mm-hmm. uh, for pinball. I've done it. So I wouldn't be worried about the size is other than it's one more thing you have to think about. You have to know the dimensions if you do need it replaced and they can list that in the manual. But I think for convenience and the fact that people like high end specialized glass for pinball machines at this point, it would behoove them to use a standard dimension. I don't disagree. Okay. Let's see some other stuff here. Don't really care about, they do offer anti-reflective glass themselves. Uh, which they also noted fingerprint resistant glass. I, is that the same as anti-reflective? My understanding is anti-reflective glass by the other manufacturers is very fingerprint show offy. That's the technical term. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I, I just, I literally have no clue. I think the next big thing and the one that definitely has had the most discussion on pen side that I've noted is the pin bar. Bum, 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 bum. Jeff in the This Week in Pinball uh, info dump described it as the most intriguing innovation on deep root pinball machines. So, nutshell summary. Horizontal screen. It's in the lockdown bar area on the pinball machine. It comes on all the models. It is a touch screen. 
It will display a lot of information. So that's where you go in to do your system testing, to change your gameplay settings, to uh, do your custom game settings. And then because it's a touch screen, it also will allow you to have interaction with the gameplay. So like you could uh, have a button for the Magna save be on the touch, uh, be on the pin bar on the touch screen area, or you could have it display animations, or you could have it be the video mode if you were playing a video mode. So uh, in terms of of what all it's got going on for it, it's obviously it's it's significant. It's significantly different than anything else we've seen in, in pinball. Uh, the feature list in the info dump uh, included things like it's easily replaceable. It has up to five panel play mode play uh, layout. Um, you can handle number of players through it. Uh, you could go and uh, the games can have achievements. Uh, score and leaderboard can be can be done through it. Um, and then, of course, all the maintenance stuff that I mentioned, audits, things that you'd normally expect from the menu settings. Um, so uh, they did say that it does seal and the lo- like seal up, so you know protect from spills and stuff. So, what are your thoughts of the pin bar? Because this has been really controversial. It has. And I'm going to go on the I want to see it list, but I will say just right off the top, just hearing about it, considering the amount of abuse the apron gets on every pinball machine I've ever seen in use, it better be super tough. And it better be able to handle a lot of abuse because that's the most abused section of any pinball machine I've ever seen. I've never been a fan of Stern's little button there, so I'm not sure that I'm going to be any more of a fan of having uh, a touch capacity there for buttons, for extra buttons for gameplay. Though with the positioning, I can see having a screen there for stuff like... uh score an extra just extra an extra screen kind of like uh on aliens that was in the play field where there where there was a screen visible right where you looked at it stuff like that i can see that and finding good places to put a screen like that i'm just not sold on a touch capable screen in a spot that's going to take so much abuse and I'm glad they say that it's easily replaceable, but is it easily replaceable because it's going to have to be replaced a lot? And what's that going to cost? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, and we don't, we don't have any details on that yet. So, um, I know a lot of people online have focused more about the lock bar portion around it and how the edges seem sharp. Uh, and a lot of references to Stella Wars lockdown bar, uh, that I'm, um, whatever that if that is a problem that is a problem that they can fix so in terms right of- and that's something that honestly it can look that way but it might not be that way until you get hands on it you're not going to know yeah yeah it's i i'm i'm not willing to, to proclaim that it's the pain bar as some people <laughs> have been calling it uh as a concept i actually really like the idea uh I hate the menu system of pinball. It feels so antiquated. And I've had so many different ones. I mean, like, so like with Stern and the four buttons, 
it's reasonably navigable. Like I've done games where they had three buttons to navigate that stuff. And you're like, holy crap, this is so crude. But it, it still takes forever to cycle through to find what you want and then make your change. And then you have, you know, did you hit the right button and then, you know, save it and then move on. Uh, and doing through a touchscreen where you're seeing those options will assuredly be faster. The issue is most of the time, how often are you going into that menu system? Like I usually go in once or twice to, to get, you know, make the changes that I want, like uh, change the difficulty of the game. I, at this point, once I have my game set up, I usually only go back in the menu system if I lost settings for some reason, like a battery change, which is usually not uh, really all that applicable in modern games. Or uh, we're doing like Casey Pinball Championship or something. I might go in and adjust software settings to make the games harder. And that's about it. Now, this obviously is doing more than just the menus. But for me, the logic of the touch bar was most obvious for navigating the menus, the audits, things of that nature. Dennis, give me a second. I'm going to blow your mind. (gasps) What if I told you that there was a way that you could connect a touch-capable screen to a machine that would be password-protected and let you get in and make adjustments on the fly without needing something physically part of the machine. And that's funny because that was what I was about to mention. <laughs> because at work, we, we have we Bluetooth. Have, we have. I mean, at work, I have a ton of equipment. I have gas monitors. I have actuators for valves that literally are Bluetooth connected where I can walk down there, I can pull my phone out, and I can connect to that valve via Bluetooth, put in the password that gives me access to actually make adjustments to that valve, and change how that valve moves, when it moves, and all that from my phone. So I could do all of that without having a fragile device sitting on the front of my machine. Yes. And that's where... Uh, mentioning all that stuff in the touchscreen, the settings, it's like, why, why not just have a Bluetooth setup and integrate it with the phone? And quite frankly, why haven't any other pinball manufacturers done it either? No, it's a valid question. And it's something that, I mean, I've never brought it up before because I don't get in and mess with the menus on pinball machines because. What, your campus queen uh, menu you EM, haven't had to go yeah. into? Yeah, my EM does not have that option. So it's not some, but this is something that we've done. In in at work for years, at least at least for the last five years, I've had a lot of equipment that making adjustments. I mean, we have gas monitors to monitor for hazardous gases because of the job, and every single one of them that we've put in at least for the last five years, if not for the last decade, to do their calibrations, to do anything with them. You walk up and you use Bluetooth to connect your phone to it, and you just sit there on your phone, and you do all of it that way. All of it. Mm -hmm. It makes no sense to me why that's not an already existent thing to be on pinball machines, other than the fact that I didn't think of it. Well, I mean, I I doubt any other people. Let's be fair. Pinball is still, still making us use USB sticks to update the code instead of having the ability to to you know them stick a dongle in and hook the thing up on Wi-Fi and right. download this stuff automatically. Well and and there are pinball machines already out there with Bluetooth connectivity. 
Yeah, dialed in. Dialed you play in. Play with your phone. Why did they not put the control menu? So I'm sure it's because just nobody thought about it. But the thing is, is this seems like an answer to a problem that has better answers that have already happened in the wider world and just not been applied to this situation. I agree, though. They are trying to have it be more than where I see the most immediate value, which would be an operator on site. So obviously, it being a touchscreen means the gameplay interaction sort of stuff. And so like one of the arguments, I believe, from when they were shown it was – the that like they're doing magna save it's not going to be an action button in the middle of the lock bar like it is on black knight sort of rage they don't have to put in a separate uh cabinet buttons near the flippers you can play the flippers and your thumbs are able for most people to reach the edges of the pin bar and you'll be able to click the magna save buttons without having to take your hand away from the flipper buttons and so that's where the touch screen argument touch screen adds in onto that uh if there are concerns, as you noted, the the highway uh, and the display of information on the on the playfield uh, where they had the screen in the playfield and how that you could show things because when you're trapped up or looking down at your flippers, you can see the pin bar. That helps also address the issue of they have less screen real estate because of the wide panorama they went with in the back box. So now they have they have they have value in wanting a second screen because their first screen isn't that big. Mm-hmm. So. Now you've got that for for showing that people aren't going to want to take their phone out and set it on top of the apron to watch that while they play pinball. So sure enough. So they've got. So I totally. I think that the like the Bluetooth phone thing should be done by everyone, including Deep Root, for the menu stuff. But I see where they're thinking that it does that. But it does that. But it, it you know it seemed like they're trying to solve a whole bunch of different things with this. But it seems like they could do that real estate. Without having to go to the more fragile touchscreen. Sure. I mean, they could have uh, replaced the apron area with a screen under the glass for the display stuff. Yeah. It wouldn't have have to have been in the lock bar. But this is one of those things we're just going to have to wait and see how it actually works in the wild. We'll have to see how it is in the wild. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know I have never in my life seen somebody get 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 angry and strike the apron with both their fists as they turn and walk away from the game. Never. Not ever. Never ever. And we'll have to see how well it handles to that kind of abuse. Mm-hmm. And I guess it wasn't working right when they <laughs> went out there, so yay. <laughs> That's what I <laughs> my understanding. Let's talk about the play field. So okay. we know from the interview that Robert Mueller did with us a few years ago that Robert hates dimples, and Deep Root was committed to solving the dimple problem, so much so that their play fields could be smacked with a hammer and not leave a dimple. And thus, pin armor was born. And they showcased the pin armor during this event. And so they took a play field, I believe it was one of the play fields that Mirko made for them that was used in one of the prototypes uh, that was shown last year, one of the Raza prototypes, and then one with a pin armor. They got to hit it with a hammer. They got to, they had a, a couple of devices that dropped a pinball from a set height and then a kind of massive, huge pinball from a set height. And when they did those tests, it was indicated that the, the hammer test, which was a 16 ounce hammer and the huge, uh, the huge pinball, which I guess was 750 grams in weight, uh, and the regular pinball all left some form of dent or crater in the regular playfield, the prototype playfield, 
and it did not leave a dent or crater in the pin armor. But everyone noted that when you looked at the game with the pin armor, it appeared as if the coating was an orange peel texture. It was not smooth. And that was, you could feel that texture when you ran your hand along it, but that that textured play field did not affect gameplay. Like the ball rolled around normally, like you would expect. They couldn't notice any differences. So what do you think of pin armor? I think until they get rid of the orange peel effect, it's utterly useless. Look at the rage people had. It doesn't loved, matter how strong it this. is. I loved this. And, um, and Robert did did acknowledge, according to Jeff, with This Week in Pinball, that this was an early version of Pin Armor. But I just thought it was so it's – slash, it's like troll slash big brain by yeah. going, hey, you can't have dimples if dimples are already there. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> because that's what – that's the whole thing with the orange peel. It's yeah. people complain about – uh, getting dimples in their play field and then people reassure them and say, well, once you get enough dimples over time, it all sort of evens out. You get an orange peel like texture. If you look at an angle at my Star Trek or my Walking Dead, you will see that orange peel texture from those dimples in my play fields. You'll see them. Mm -hmm. And so here we go. We can't put in any new dimples. <laughs> you get a pre-dimpled play. I mean, that's and again, the dimples and whether they're orange peel or not on regular play fields, they don't affect how the ball plays. It still rolls smooth. So, and this was the same. Yeah, you can even you can feel that it's not smooth, but the ball still does what you expect the ball to do. I'm like, I, I've I have never personally, and I know different people have different views. This is my view. I've never personally have understood the obsession with being upset about dimples. I guess I understand it in that some people want this aesthetic purity, but this is not art. It's a, it's a game. It's going mm -hmm. to get wear. It's going to have wear. This is to me, this is like getting upset when you play baseball and your bat gets scuffed. It's exactly like that. It's like anything in that situation is it's going to take wear, uh, and that's normal. And if you don't want it to take wear, you need to do like the, the, the whole meme of, you know, grandma's special setting room where the couch has the plastic throw over it and everything's got all the heavy protection on it that's only pulled off once a year when certain special people are coming over to set in a special setting room and the whole place goes back on lockdown and is off limits. It, that's the only way you're going to maintain that kind of thing. Yeah. If I, you actually use and love something, it will take wear. Yeah. It's true for all sorts of stuff. So, I, uh, I just, I mean, we'll see. It, it, Robert said it was an early version. Assuming that they will ultimately get it smooth, then he'll have something that I think. If it was me. an early version, why were they doing a reveal? We'll be talking about that. Uh, but. I could see that will be attractive to some people. It won't be attractive to me, but it will be attractive to some people. That I mean, there are a lot of people in pinball that it's almost a visceral hate of dimples. Just a visceral. That's true. That is true. It's, to me, it's weird. Uh, to them, it's normal. Uh, speaking of normal, audio. So uh, standard, uh, deeper games are going to come with a 2.1 audio sound system, mm -hmm. which... Uh, Makes sense to me, but they offer an upgraded audio package. I guess it's called the Oral Envelope. Or how do I pronounce A U R A L? Oral. 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 It's oral. Yeah. oral. 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 Coral. 
Coral. Coral. Tell your mom to quit driving. She never looks and flips the car. Coral. Glad she's dead. Oh, Rick. Quit being so bitter. Uh, so anyway. Coral, how'd your so mom the end up pregnant while I was in a coma? The, the envelope. <laughs> which includes a full range 4.1 sound system. And uh, the way this is done is there are two uh, mid-range, up-fired mid-range, as it was described, speakers. They're on the sides, the left and right of the coin door. And it's supposed to channel the sound using the player's body up to their ears. Yeah, my balls will like that. I was going to ask, what what do you think of the crotch speakers? (laughs) Sure, whatever. (laughs) My my, my biggest question when I saw it was, was... Does that make it even easier for people to break into the cabinet? I, you know, I don't know if it would. I, I have seen a number of people ask about um, cheese its going into those from kids. Oh yeah, oh kids are terrible. Too. And, full and, mashed okay, potatoes. this is going to be a lot of fun on location because kids are going to want to stick things in those little slots. Yeah, I'm not. I, I don't. Maybe know. that's an upgrade that only homeowners want. Maybe that's the May- maybe. I, I didn't think much uh, one way or the other on it. I don't mind it. It's, uh, I don't usually, I have never actually done anything special to improve the sound quality on a pinball machine. Well, and here's the thing. Here, here, here's just whole side point is it would make more sense to me if you have people who are really concerned about the audio quality that much that... Once again, lots and lots and lots and lots of Bluetooth headsets and Bluetooth speakers are in existence. Yep, and so for a homeowner, why couldn't I just throw on my 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 not bows because they cost twenty five dollars uh, noise canceling Bluetooth headset and sync it up to my machine and sit there and play it. If I care. Because here's the thing. I don't actually care that much about it. I am not an audiophile. I, I, I am not that person who can sit there with, with $500 headsets complaining that, oh, the tones are slightly off. I can't tell. I worked in aviation for 15 years. Sound is sound. I, I don't have any of those special super hearing catch the different tones and melodies you're gonna make nick shell so sad because uh, i think he's an audiophile I, no i understand but again i worked in aviation for 15 years even if i was an audiophile that stuff is gone oh so sad it, it, it's just that's just part of the thing it, to me it's not important i just it seems like there is a better easier answer Okay. Uh, a few more things. Uh, probably breeze through a lot of this. There are details on the electrical uh, system. I didn't really care about any of that. Um, there was some stuff about assisted leveling, one person setup. Uh, I mean, you can already set up a pinball one person, but it's not the easiest thing. Uh, there was pinpod. That's my actual favorite announcement. Pinpod. 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 It's a crate with latches. I've now seen on Pinside someone else found another company that does the same design, and they've wondered if they just bought it from them. It's entirely possible. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing: the actual interesting thing I see here is like the one person set up in the assisted leveling is I would really, I would really, really, really like that. 
if it was like the RVs with their leveling system where you just hit the button and it goes ting, 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 until it's level. Mm-hmm. That would be hilarious and awesome to watch. I would occasionally mislevel it and hit the button just to watch it jump up and uh, down and around. <laughs> but then and if it, you had the ability to do that automatically, you could then work that into the game. So during gameplay, when stuff is going on, the left side would drop. <laughs> there you go. It's the, there's a pinball innovation. Give me credit. But otherwise, there you yes. go. A few other things. Uh, software. So they've got pin 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 rde pin pin ride pin pry i don't know how to say it. pinball rapid development engine so they've got a a point and click device that's supposed to help develop the core framework of a pinball title really fast um so a lot of tracking on what's going on under the glass uh, apparently the uh, system uses unity so there's that um, there's supposed to be a way through what's called omni channel to allow you to access your scores on deeper machines and log into them anywhere in the world, even if it's not on the internet. That's weird. Yeah. Uh, there's pin access, which is a mobile, uh, web friendly offering to bring the scores and leaderboards and, and community features out in another way. What's that going to cost? Yeah. I'm going to hit on that too. There's a shot log scoring features. And then, uh, I wanted to hit on the, the three model system. So, just like everybody, just like everybody else, Tony, we've got to have three models. You know, if they wanted to be innovative, they should have gone with four. Oh my god, or two. I don't know. Or two. Mm. Spooky used to do two, so maybe not. But just go straight to five. But okay, wasn't so, there four versions of Beatles, or was it just three? Just three. There was okay. Just, there should have been four. There should have been the pro model. And now all of the gold models models are like selling used for $5,500 because all that money was licensed and no one cares. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now Beatles is actually almost within range to buy. Uh, it's a fun game. Yeah, it is. I just, but it wasn't uh, that price fun. No. Uh, so here, three models and brand new names, Tony. Can't We can't. You know, we can't. Of course. Because- so, there's the arcade edition, that's the pro. The X edition, that's the premium, and the extra edition, that's the LE. It's so stupid. It, it it's is so what it stupid. Is. It is what it is. How so, many this this falls just into the, the, the same thing like Xbox's naming structure of their yeah, new machines yes. where it's like, oh, I got the new it. No, you know, you got the you got the uh no, sorry, man, you screwed up, you ordered the wrong one. I this is just Pro premium Ellie. So easy. Yeah, but that means Stern it, it, wins because Stern got to define it. That's fine. No, it makes Call them sad. Them they don't one, want to be sad. Two and three. It doesn't matter. It doesn't need some fancy extra edition, collector's edition. How is your collector's edition lower than your special edition? I mean, On this, my only real I mean, acknowledging that they're going to use different naming. My only issue is I, issue is I don't like X edition and extra edition. I X edition yeah. doesn't mean anything to me, and extra, as you noted, the Microsoft Xbox thing is it's too similar of a name. Arcade edition, I get arcade pro model, operator model, arcade model. I get that. I don't understand this other stuff. No, I would restructure those last two names. I would, and, and maybe call extra le if you want, and just and you can still keep the X edition. Yeah. I mean, the lots extra. of lots of manufacturers are using LE, so it's okay. 
that doesn't make Stern win. Everyone wins. So yeah. Before going to the future titles, I, I want to start. So with all of this, let me tell you my my main concern. One of the things that Robert was known for saying early on in describing what part of the plans of Deep Root Pinball was, I believe the example was, uh, you know, like Ferrari quality Kia price. Here, and that's where I'm worried. We got the pin armor. We got the, the, the changes in the back box. And what I don't know if that's more or less expensive. We've got the, the pin bar, obviously. We've got the lift glass system. So all of that, just those items. There's no way a pin bar is cheaper than a traditional lockdown bar with like four simple buttons inside the coin door. Right? I agree. Okay. Yeah, it's like we got rid of a start button and some and some tiny little button. I, I'll show you the little buttons sometimes. They're very simple little buttons that are inside versus a full touchscreen system. And then lift glass with with the shocks. Uh, there's no way that's cheaper than just putting in two plastic side channels where you slide glass, in, right? Correct. And there's no way that orange peel pin armor is cheaper <laughs> than just slapping some automotive clear on, right? Correct. Okay. So just even just we'll just focus on those focus on those three things. So given all this, my concern is because of this quest for innovation, there is no way that Deep Root Pinball can be competitively priced with especially Stern's Pro models unless they are sacrificing on some other side. And the only things I can think of they could sacrifice on are licenses, which looking at their future po- titles has been done, or and or the mechs and what's actually going into the gameplay experience under the glass. That's what bothers me. Here's the thing. When he said Ferrari quality at a Kia price, he literally meant a Kia price. It costs okay. as much as a Kia. That's that's fair enough. But I mean, but- you can buy a brand new 2020 Kia Rio for fifteen eight. We've seen pinball machines go for $15,000 before. Okay, yeah. I'm not saying these will, but no, I agree with you. There's no way they are going to underprice uh, pros. Uh, To me, it almost seems like... I don't think they're going to underprice premiums. I don't see how. I'm not sure that's really the goal. In a way, because... And there's a lot of talk in the... the, Or there's some discussion in the article about, you know, light... it almost seems like pin, Deep Root isn't so much interested in manufacturing pinball as it is manufacturing innovations that they then want to license to other pinball manufacturers. That makes a lot of sense. In the way this has been run and the way this has happened, it makes a lot of sense. But I don't know that any of their innovations are really worth licensing. Do you want to license Orange Peel, Clear Coat? But if they solve the Orange Peel... I could, I could see that. See, I mean, I could see. I could see. I could see it. I, I I could see them think that someone might want to buy the ability to do that. Just like I could see someone maybe saying, "Okay, well, people, we need a second screen. Let's do the pin bar. Let's do the pin bar. We'll, we'll you know we'll be able to have all this other stuff going along with it. So, yay. I I, I don't know. I don't know. But that's that's just my concern. Is there's so much innovation here? Then I'm wondering if they're going to be so priced out of the market, like they just there's too much money in the innovation before you even start talking about the game itself. Right. 
And, and, and that, I mean, when you're talking about, you're 100% correct on that. I'll just leave it there for now. Okay. So let's run through, because this is part, again, info dump. And I don't know why they dumped all of this. Uh, and I'm going to talk about that when we, we cover how this was handled. But so a whole bunch of their future pl- titles uh, have now a little more information available. So let's just run through them real quick. Uh, so we already know about Retro Atomic Zombie Adventureland. That's the first game that that this was really light on details about, by the way. All this this info dump, not very detailed on Raza at all. There was so, no mentions of things that you might want to know about such a game, yeah. as, such as gameplay. Yeah. So, future plan future plan titles. There's Fire and Brimstone. We already knew the name of that one. Uh, Robert Mueller's designing it. Concept. Relive the Old Testament alongside the prophets of ancient times. Build up faith or suffer the file and brimstone of the wrath of God. With the feature of being the first multi-dominational religious pinball game. First... I just want to say, the way this was listed, the future planned titles, feels like this was all elevator pitches that it was purely designed to see what the buzz on 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 social media was, so they knew where to concentrate on next. Mm. Well, I do think these were pulled from a PowerPoint slideshow. So, oh, well, they definitely were pulled from PowerPoint slideshow. But I mean, that's how it feels. It feels like that was the the whole point is to get a. Oh, we need to concentrate on this one for, I, I don't know, but fire and brimstone. Okay. That, is that a feature? I, I thought it was interesting to call that a feature. How I, is that a feature? I, and I'm trying to think who was it that I was listening to that they, they described it in a way very similar to how I would, I would describe it. Uh, but my politics and religion are, are third rail topics. I don't think you ever want them in a pinball machine. That would be how I would describe hey. it. I, I, I'm looking forward to social security policy, the pinball machine. Yes. That'll be exciting. <laughs> That'll be $150 on people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, I wonder if I could get that much for it if I designed it. <laughs> uh, food truck designed by Barry Osler. Concept. Get orders filled quickly and accurately to keep your social media reviews up for maximum scores. Watch out. Your competitor, the Roach Coach, will try to steal your customers and look for any opportunity to post bad reviews and sabotage your business. Features. Some cool toys and mechs, along with a fast-paced visual ordering queue. Yeah. Some cool toys? Probably not the best way to describe it. Also, uh, uh, the whole concept of... of uh, trying to keep your social media reviews up for maximum scores is a nice bit of philosophy that Deep Root should probably look into doing on their mm. own. I thought uh, the the phrasing about some cool toys and mechs was a little concerning. Like, so only some of them are cool, the rest of them suck. Was <laughs> you know, I don't I don't think they meant to imply that. Uh, Fast paced visual ordering cue. So let me just ask you real quick because this one just that's called food truck. A lot of people have been making fun of, and some there are some are like, no, it's a, you know it's a sequel to Diner. Obviously, it's a sequel to Diner. But talking about licenses and the power, what if this had been overcooked? Oh, that would have been a totally different thing. See, would, yeah, fast-paced visual ordering cue says overcooked to me. Yeah, but I don't necessarily know that it would have made a great pinball machine. I don't know, but either. it would have had a lot more uh, pull. Uh, Merlin's Arcade. 
designed by John Norris. Concept, medieval arcade Olympics set in the 80s. Train with Merlin and the Knights of the Round Table. Battle Morgan Le Fay to regain the Holy Poppin Grail. Features, based on 8-Ball Deluxe with flow and precision around New Mech's unique gameplay HUD. So, it's a remake of 8-Ball Deluxe. In a way, it's a, I, it's, it's an interpretation. Gonna, the way this reads, I could be 100% wrong, uh, because this is literally a single PowerPoint slide to go from. This reads like uh, a remake to A-Ball Deluxe, like Beatles was a remake to Sea Witch. It's a remake and modernization of a classic game using new technology. Okay. And I could see that. Uh, here's what my, here's my impression. Uh, the, the unique gameplay HUD was kind of captured and you can see this on the, on the TWIP info dump uh, with how the displays are going to look. So it kind of is doing like an early solid state style display, which I think is cool. I think that looks cool. Uh, I don't like how the concept was written. First, I'm, I'm assuming by medieval arcade Olympics set in the eighties means the 1980s. So I'm really confused about how this ties with Merlin and the Knights of the Round Table. I guess it's supposed to be campy and funny. Uh, I think saying the Holy Pop and Grail sounds stupid. Oh, it's, <laughs> really it's, stupid. It's, it's really stupid. Uh, and I don't I want to be overly judgmental about that. Because but this art is super familiar to me. It's the Holy Pop and Grail, dude. This art Excellent. like screams to me. Uh, 8-Ball Deluxe is a great game. I love the 8-Ball Deluxe layout. But, and and this one is noted as having flow and precision, which 8-Ball Deluxe is not known as a flow game. It was a fairly, it's a, it's fairly clunky. It's a, it's a, it's all about precision. You know, it's a stop and go shooter. Uh, and you noted, you know, again, you're, and so that's uh, really aligns well with your example of Sea Witch and Beatles, which, you know, Beatles really flowed up Sea Witch, which had a lot of clunk to it. Uh, my concern with this, and I know John Norris loves 8-Ball Deluxe, one of his favorite games, but he's done designs built around it before, and there are so many iterative games out there around 8-Ball Deluxe. I really question, do we need another one? So while I look forward to it, because I do like the layout and I'm curious, uh, the bottom line is there was 8-Ball Deluxe, then Bally re-released it like a couple of years later as 8-Ball Deluxe LE, which was essentially the exact same game, but with an ugly back box. Then hmm. John Norris did Bad Girls, which was 8-Ball Deluxe with multi-ball, and he mirrored the, f- the play field. So everything on the left was on the right and vice versa. And other than that, it had a very target instead of inline drops. And then uh, John Borg, though basically modifying John Norris's Golden Q layout, which was an 8-Ball Deluxe style game, but was only prototyped. There are only like eight or ten versions that were made. Um, did what I used to own, Sharky Shootout, which is Eight Ball Deluxe reimagined with RAM. Yeah. So it's been done a lot. Eight Ball Deluxe has been done a lot. So I'm a little concerned about revisiting that well. It's a good well to go back to, I guess. It has been about 20 years since the last Eight Ball Deluxe clone, but but still, we've seen it a lot more than a lot of other playfields. So. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, next announcement, a uh, licensed one, The Who, Osler doing that. I'm not going to read through the, the stuff, but obviously. So that one might have potential. Uh, everyone's going to dread hearing Pinball Wizard in it, though. I think if they were smart, 
that song would only play when you finish the wizard mode, like the final wizard mode. I agree with you. I think it plays whenever you hit game over, though. Probably. And, <laughs> it, and, it, and it plays continuously during the attract mode because. Yeah. God. Yes. Uh, another game concept, uh, Gladiator, Osler design. This is the plot of the movie Gladiator, except they renamed Maximus to Septimius. Um, but the, the feature is that it's based on the 3D space cadet layout, the old Windows game. Is, is that a feature? I guess. I don't remember Space Cadet. I'm like the one person who doesn't. I mean, I remember Space Cadet. I played a fair amount of Space Cadet. The base is going to have to be pretty darn loose because there wasn't much to Space Cadet. Or else there's not much to this game. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we'll have to see. There's Yukon Yeti. That's co-designed between Robert and Dennis Nordman. Uh, sequel to Whitewater. They make it very clear in the features. But the concept's a little do- different. It's set in the 1890s during the Yukon Gold Rush. And apparently the plot is uh, some mischievous, lighthearted teenage Yukon Yeti feuds with gold miners. So it's gonna. It's supposed to have great multi-level flow. So the layout is. Uh, they're really leaning on that. It's going to be reminiscent of Whitewater, which is a deeply popular game. I love Whitewater. I unashamedly love Whitewater. That's fine. <laughs> uh, the feature being listed as "Who doesn't want a sequel to Whitewater?" is just horrible. Well, that's the nod, nod, wink, wink. We didn't get a license to do a sequel to Whitewater, but you're right. going to feel like you're playing Whitewater. I, I, I thought it was cl- clever enough. Yeah. Once again, their artists. Oh, I hate this. It's just. It's too cute. <laughs> These little yetis. Like, I want to spray them with a water bottle like they're bad cats. <laughs> I want go away, you stupid little yeti. Going around, steal like one slight got he's got a whole pizza over his head. That's not the proper way to carry that. A teenager isn't going to carry a, p- a pizza like that. He's going to eat the pizza and yeah. not tell you. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Machine Age. That's a that's a Dennis Nordman as well. Uh, concept has to do with uh, diesel punk heroes take on the world's greatest threat in a dystopian thriller, um, and this is going to have an open layout. Uh, with three first level, level, excuse me, three first ever mechs. Um, now you like diesel punk, Tony. I like diesel punk. I'm a big fan. So, uh, like conceptually, the theme conceptually sounds the theme. I sounds like dystopian fine. thrillers. So, this yeah, the concept, everything about the concept sounds interesting to me. Features, I don't know. Three first ever mechs, I'm curious about, but it says open layout, which to me says it's going to be a fan, right? Well, it's, and, it's and, fine, and, but- and let, 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 to be fair, we've seen what people call first ever versions of mech sometimes, and they're literally just slightly modified versions of an old mech. So I'm not. That's true. Okay. And stunning video game quality animations. Anything with an LCD should have video game quality animations this day now, and age. I have not seen this, but I, because I had just recorded the pinball show with Zach earlier today. He did mention that someone with deep root released a video uh, of some animation from one. He, I think he thought Zach thought it was the Merlin arcade game and he was blown away by the animation. It reminded him of the dragon's lair arcade game quality. 
Oh yay, 1984 quality. Yeah, cell well, shade animation. For, and for for Zach, he Whoa. hates like that, that. What he thinks is that cheap looking 3D animated, no facial expressions versus like a hand drawn. This actually looks like someone who cared style and had some money behind it. So I haven't seen it myself, so I can't comment. I'm, uh, all I'm saying is that he so far. Zach thinks, and he's a bit of an animation snob, that Deep Root may actually have some decent animation. And they did have a studio working on their animations. It wasn't just like one guy. Right. So, well, I don't know. We'll see. But if we, well, maybe we'll see. I don't know. Uh, next game yeah, didn't have a title. Let's not get carried away. Yeah, let's I get know, a game the... out before we start worrying too much about what the other games look like. So there's an unnamed uh, game done being done by Osler, which is not the 3d space cadet layout even though this one's concept is space pirates uh but apparently it's a reimagining a revisioning so kind of like the eight ball deluxe thing so now we're going to redo gottlieb's black hole okay i like black hole yeah uh, but it's a it's a polarizing layout so we'll have to see how a lot of people hate no i think they should keep the name as title tbd that would be funny name that name the pirate ship title tbd Keep it. Just roll with it. Roll uh, Magic with it. Girl, which we knew was coming. Uh, yeah. The only thing that caught my eye of, of that, besides that you can see that they're not using the Yeti art anymore, zombie Yeti art, which I would think was a given, was it's a choose-your-own-adventure world. I'm not quite sure. I, they're going to have a different style of gameplay for that. So. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, there's that. Uh, then, for, you know, tagged for coming out, and I guess coming out. Uh, we, we don't really know. Uh, it says 2021, but above that it says, hey, you guys, which. Yeah. So Goonies. It's so Goonies. And then their last slide that they shared were other titles in development. Alice, that's I'm sure J-Pop's Alice in Wonderland. Uh, some combative racing license. It's not going to be Mario Kart. What's, uh, well, what, if it's, you, not if Mario it's a licensed Kart, one, like, do you think it's Sonic All Star Racing? I'm trying to think of like a sucky one. It, it could be. See, I, I would think Twisted Metal. That's one I've heard several tell me when I'd say, "Name me a sucky one." They go Twisted Metal. Uh, uh multiplex. Uh, okay. I don't. I don't know. It, uh, I mean that. Unless it's. Surely it's no. I can't believe that it's based on the multiplex webcomic. That would be insane. No, no. It's probably based on, like, the movie theater. The, well, right, but see, the multiplex webcomic is based around right, uh, but theater. No, mm. I don't, I, now I need to look, because that comic has been done since, for, for years. Years and years now. I'm just imagining that it's like AMC theaters, and you have to try and get people to come and watch your movies with COVID. And... I mean, I mean, I just are they? I'm I'm looking it up in my old web comics thing because I I went through this entire. I read this comic from from shortly after it started until it completed, and I'm want to look at the art style because it's been years. But that's the question: is does the art style match with some of the art styles we've seen in some of the other drawing? And the answer is no, not really. Okay, just. I, I don't know. I just, they're, yeah. Because they came out and did an audio, because they came out and did an animation based upon the webcomic. Oh, okay. No, well, so, no, I don't think they're based on the webcomic. Yeah, probably not. Uh, board game license, that could be anything. That's probably cheap to get. It could it's be Monopoly, could be My guess would letters. be Catan. Hmm. 
and an 80s movie license. I don't, it says other titles, so I'm guessing that's different than Goonies, which would yeah. be an 80s movie license. But all right, so that's all that. So, all right, enough of the info dump. Let's talk about how this was handled. Um, I guess I'll go ahead and, and say my, my bit first. Uh, okay. And that's just Deep Root, I think, handled this as I noted on our last episode. Like, they did it in, to me, the entirely wrong, like, almost every decision they made was the wrong decision. I don't think bringing out six media influencer types when you weren't going to be ready to reveal made any sense. If they didn't know, they weren't going to be ready to do any sort of, uh, you know, revela- re- reveal to the public. Um, before they brought them out, that's even worse because that means you needed these outsiders to tell you that you're not ready for primetime. And that's scary. In and that's itself. super scary. So then they put out the announcement. They should have released something. And then they put out an announcement that they weren't going to release anything. Then a leak, which I am sure Deeproot is deeply furious about, actually got them to release something which has allowed them to save some face. Because now people don't think it's all entirely vaporware, but they have been noodling on stuff. But I look at this huge info dump here on TWIP. It's way too much. They said way too much. I never expected all this stuff to have been covered in the reveal in the first place. It should have only been about Raza, of which there is a dearth of information about. Should have been about. There's nothing about Raza gameplay here. It should have talked about Raza gameplay, and they probably should have talked about the cabinet, the back box, the lift glass, and the pin bar. That's it. Pin armor wasn't ready for prime time. It shouldn't have been discussed. These all these additional titles, other than naming, I said they should have named another title. They should have given us something. Could have given about Magic Girl or whatever they think is the next one that's going. You know, give a little taste. Could have been a little bit about the Feimer and Brinstone. There's no reason to talk about Merlin's Arcade and Food Truck and Gladiator and and t- title TBD. What are you doing? You've revealed like the next three years of your concepts, but there's nothing there. So all we're doing is making fun of them. This is a fire hose. They opened a fire hose because it was going so bad and they were being hurt so bad in social media and in the forums and everything that they opened the fire hose to blow out everything they could. The whole purpose was to swamp uh, the hobby, the, the 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 pinheads, with so much information that even when they picked something to have an issue with, it would be diluted because there were so many other things to talk about. Mm. And then, of course, because of and I know you have comments on this, so I'll, let, I'll allow this to be the segue to you. But while I do not blame Deep Root for wanting to put everyone under an NDA. I think there are some serious questions given how muzzled everyone has been about being able to explain anything that they saw that it really raises some questions about exactly what do we expect from pinball media and what they're doing? Because we know on the video game side that there are situations like where you get early access to a game to prepare your review and you're under embargo. But this wasn't an embargo where it was like, okay, you're going to come, you're going to go on a tour. Everything you see on the tour, you're going to get to go public with as of Wednesday, you know, for example. Could have done something like that. Instead, they are muzzled on everything that they saw, even though they were brought along. And I mean, I have questions about even signing up as media to see things that you know, like, did there were there parts that were never going to be allowed to be released? Probably. 
why are you seeing that stuff? Why are you agreeing to see that stuff? I, I, I get it like conceptually in some ways, but if you listened and read all these people trying to weigh in who were down this part of this deep six, as they call themselves, it's so repetitive because everything has to, t- everything has to adhere essentially to what Jeff wrote. And then there's no, like, they're not even giving opinions. It's, and there are people dancing around on this. Like one of the, one of the, one of the people on a, multiple videos of theirs have pointed out how, you know, I tell you that, you know, I tell you everything if I could, but I agree to the NDA. And it's like, well, you agree to the NDA. That was on you. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think some of them feel like they might have jeopardized their standing with the pinball community as people who are honest because they're so quick to sign away their ability to be honest. And I know you have a lot of thoughts on that. So, But I, I will say, let me settle their fears on that. They have. Because the fact that they signed this with Deep Root Pinball and the fact that it's obvious that the restrictions are so tight, they can't be trusted on Deep Root Pinball ever. We don't know what the AADAA says, and because of that, we can't trust them. If they can't come out and speak the truth, we can't trust them. And here's the thing, and yes, I, this, I'm stealing this as the segue into my rant, and I will tell you right now, to the listeners, if my rant sounds a lot more organized than my normal conversation, it's because this rant started its life as my first ever post to Pennside. And it kept growing and getting deeper. And it got to the point where I was just like, I'd rather talk about this on the podcast than post this out there. So that's why this seems a lot more organized than my normal off of the cuff run-of-the-mill discussions. But for these deep six, these members of the pinball media, where you and me, Dennis, we're members of the pinball media, and the truth of the matter is the pinball media, we're social influencers. That's exactly what we are. Uh, but the only thing that matters that we have, that we share with you, are our words. What we say to you, our listeners, our viewers when we're streaming, our readers when we're posting online, are the only things that matter. You are our customers, and we have a duty to be honest and truthful with you. If I give you my opinion, that is a truthful opinion because it's what I actually feel. Does that mean that it's right or that you should feel the same way? No. But that's my opinion, and that is why I'm giving it out. Uh, just because I have this platform of the podcast and people who listen to us and people who like to listen to us, hopefully, uh, some people I'm sure hate listen, I have a responsibility in my mind to be truthful with my thoughts and opinions. If we allow an outside source to influence us, to lock down what we can say by an NDA or by purchasing a review or by purchasing uh, or providing us with uh, machines or video games or some other form of support, we need to let you know about that. 
because that way you know that there could be bias. That's why when Dennis and I talk about the Roanoke Pinball Museum, we mentioned that they gave me my Grail pen. When we talk about a video game that we've gotten for free, we mention that the game was given to us. Because that way you know that there's a possibility of bias in our reporting. Not only is that the ethical thing to do for you, our listeners, our customers, our fans, it's actually required by the Federal Trade Commission. They require the disclosure of stuff like that. And over the years, the Federal Trade Commission has been updating their rules for stuff like that to match up with modern technology. And they've put out a helpful guide called Disclosures 101 for Social Media Influencers. We will include a link in the links for it. But I think it's an important read for everybody, whether they actually consider themselves a social influencer or not. Uh, I will hit some of the highlights on this. Here's some of the... uh, You need to disclose when you have any financial, employment, personal, or family relationships with a brand. Financial relationships are not limited to money. You have to disclose if you get anything of value for mentioning a product. If I've received, if we've received anything of, uh, if we've received something for free or a discounted product price, we need to tell you about that. We need to disclose that relationship. If, for example, my sister owns Hypervolt Pinball Distributors and we talk about them on the show, I have to let you know that that is my sister's company. If Bob Jenkins Pinball gives us their newest pinball machine to review, we have to tell you that Bob Jenkins gave us that pinball machine so we could review it. That way you know if there's bias. If the Imperial Fist Pinball Network provides funding to us to upgrade our setups and to help pay for our podcasting and streaming-related bills, we need to let you know about that. Because that way you know that anything we say about Imperial Fist Pinball Network will be from a position of having received support from them. If we don't tell you that, and you're supposed to be trusting us to tell you our honest opinions, and you find out about it, would you ever trust us again? Could you ever trust us again? I know I couldn't. Because that would mean we were being paid. We literally had become advertising for you without letting you know that you were watching an advertisement. The requirements also require that you be sure that the people see and understand the disclosures. You can't just put the disclosure on a fact or on an about page or hidden in a corner somewhere on your website. It has to be mentioned in the story where you are talking about it. It has to be clearly labeled. If you're doing, uh, if you're streaming, you're required to mention it throughout the stream multiple times for people who do not watch the entirety of the stream. If you are, if you have it on a video plat, if you're putting out a video, you need to put it on the screen and mention it when you, in the video. I mean, it has to be well labeled. They have a full list of what is and is not allowed for the labeling of it so people would know what it is. If we put out a link to a video game and it goes through an affiliate link, 
so that if they buy the game from that link, we make money. We have to tell you that that link is there and that it is an affiliate link and that we are making money off of any purchases they make through that link that is required by law. It doesn't matter if you have four followers or 40 million followers. You all deserve the same amount of respect. And we have to let you know that there could be bias or that our, we have been actually purchased. And what we are telling you is what we're paid to tell you. We are legally and morally required to let you know that. We know that the deep six are under NDA. They've made it quite clear. And we don't know the complete restrictions of the NDA, but honestly, from what I've seen coming out of it, these restrictions are so tight that they can't say what they honestly think. They can't say what they honestly believe. So no, I'm not going to trust any of them when they talk about deep root pinball. Because how do I know they don't have to run every single thing they put out about Deep Root through Deep Root before it goes out? How can you possibly trust somebody when they've accepted that role, they've accepted that in, and when they've taken... You can't. There's just no good way to do it. And I think this is a problem that we see not just in this situation. We see this a lot in pinball uh, because pinball such a niche hobby that everybody wants to get in on the know and they want to have, oh, they, we, oh yeah, I've got the secrets and oh, I'm good friends with blah, 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 blah. And well, I'm not going to say, I don't really like this game, but it's not terrible, but I just don't really like it. So I'm just going to, I'm not going to, but I'm not going to be say what I really think about it because I'm really good friends with blah, blah, blah. That kind of thing all falls under these issues because you're not being honest with your listeners. I know people don't like me, don't like everything I say because I disagree with them. How many times have I heard about my dislike of Pirates of the Caribbean from JJP? I, th I think I've lost count. Yeah, it's, it's insane. Here's the truth of the matter. While the video snippet Dennis has on the Facebook page is short and to the point, I have played a fairly large amount of Pirates at this point. I still don't like the game. I don't find it that much fun, and that's okay. It's okay that I don't find the game fun and you love it. There's no reason we all have to like the same things. But if I did not like the game, but because of support from JJP, I told you it was the greatest game in the world. Even if you agreed that it was the greatest game in the world, that wouldn't be correct. It wouldn't be ethical because I wouldn't be telling you the truth. And I think this is where the actual largest problem coming out of this whole deep root non-reveal debacle is, is that this has been painted in glaring light. And it's something that us as pinball influencers as a total are going to have to come to grips with going forward. Is this an acceptable way for us to work? Is this an acceptable way 
for us to treat you, our fans, our listeners, our customers? I don't think so. I think you need to know the truth. And there's a reason why, and I know it's come up in podcasts in the past, and it's come up with conversations with people in the past, that one of my first questions whenever we get asked anything is, do I have to sign an NDA? Because I won't. Period. I don't get to see the special things. Nobody tells me special secrets. But I don't care because ethically it means that I don't have to lie to you. And I don't have to hold back my true thoughts on something to you. And to me, that is more important than being in the know. And that is more important than having some special event. And you're what matters. Our listeners are what matters. And I think... It should be that way to all the streamers and podcasters and and, and reporters and news. Uh, that should be what matters is putting out truth. And this is not truth. This has not been... They're not allowed to speak. It pissed me off. I, I'll be... You can ask You're much Dennis. calmer now than you were. It's been two weeks and I've... This is like the 900th version of this thing I, 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 I wrote. And some of the early versions had language that has never been heard on this show before. And I, I, I freely admit, I was livid about all of this. And I'm still not in a good mood about it. I still think it's a massive failure for the pinball community. But I've had some time and I've calmed down. Well, it's good that you are calm. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's a challenge. I think, as you noted, the, the size of the hobby, I think what the glaring thing that stood out to me for a long time is we don't have a professional pinball media like video games does, which went through its own growing pains and still struggles in some ways, because even in the world of video games, you have scenarios where reporters are becoming friends with developers and they, you know, and they don't want to jeopardize, you know, part of it is just, you know, they are truly friends and they don't want to hurt their friend publicly, hurt their feelings. Uh, and part of it is maybe even access, but ultimately, and, you know, being affiliated with the pinball network, we had our, our deep root correspondent, you know, went, was one of those six went out there and to get information to do their segment. Uh, and I think that part of the thing that ended up cropping up was, you know, kind of going into this, I assumed that there would be some level of embargo, you know, to, you know, that Deep Root would want to coordinate when, what day the information was released. That's and I would, super I would have been, and I'd been fine. I'd be fine yeah. with that. But ultimately, based off of the opening statement in the info dump on TWIP, it sounds more like they ended up becoming beta testers. Like they, it became like a beta event. That actually may be based off of what actually uh, Deepert said, not what Jeff said. I apologize, but so given that, it's just it's like. But I thought you were going like, are you going as the media or is you going as playtesters? You see, th those are two different roles. You can go and be a playtester, go and get early access and try stuff, and other companies have done that as well. But. At some stage, when a company wants to reveal information to the public, 
they need to lose some ability to control the narrative at that point. And it's going to be like, okay, do you want us to go out there and look at Raza? We have to have the ability to release our our thoughts on your Raza presentation. And that's where I thought if they knew that they weren't going to be ready for the public reveal, they should have canceled having these six go out there. Because what's the point if it can't be public anymore? Now, I understand from like a pinball affectionado perspective that, hey, isn't it cool to be part of this group of six that gets to know stuff? No one else? That happens all the time in pinball. It really does. And I get that from a, cons- you know, like from a consumption perspective. I love knowing stuff from a consumption perspective. But obviously, there's a flip side of I'm at the point where I'm agreeing to NDAs with uh, with manufacturers so that I'm in the just to have the knowledge and then not be able to share it. I guess that makes me the cool kid, but but it's like but that's not but that's not the point to me. It's not the point. So um, so yeah, I just again I understand from Deeper's perspective control everything with NDA. It's like the best of all worlds. They have full full control over all of this. In fact, at the end of the uh, the note from Deep Root Pinball mentioned that the information provided in the TWIP article was to give perspective and context to illicitly leaked confidential information. And the VIPs, as they referred to them, as Deep Root referred to the Deep Six, uh, released from the NDA about anything discussed in the article, but did not include things seen on the tour told to be off limits or prices and addition features. Why were those things even covered if they couldn't be shared? I don't know. I, I and I, that's what I don't understand is they spent weeks hyping up this event. So for them to suddenly, oh, it's a beta test. That no, that's them covering. This is this thing flopped so hard that they canceled everything. I mean, there are there are things that you can you know you share with media and you can keep them keep them you know keep them confidential. Keep them. I'll give you a, a real life example so, of mine. So I was speaking with a reporter about coronavirus. Uh, this was several weeks ago. And at one point, the conversation was shifting to the reporter clearly wanted to know where some outbreak clusters were. And I knew where, what some of the issues related to those clusters were. But for political reasons, I did not want my name associated with that. So I offered to give them the information to allow them to report on it. But I said I wanted to be on background so that they wouldn't name me. And we had a conversation. I gave him the background details. And then when he wanted it no longer on background, he said, going back on the record. And then he continued with his questions, at which point I'm like, I know anything I say, he can completely associate to me. And when they write these articles, I do not get a copy and get to say, yes, 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 no, yes, no, and decide what gets printed. Right. And that's just, and, and that's just the role. So I'm just... Yeah, I, I I think on retrospect, and I don't know all the details. I wasn't in discussions with Deep Root about going out and being part of the Deep Six. I do remember when they were planning to do the uh, TPF, and they were going to have a VIP room, and they emailed and offered us the ability to be in the and those in the VIP room would be able to interview the team members, and that was your first thing. Was I didn't even think about it initially, but you were. Do we have to sign an NDA to get in that room? Because I'm not signing an NDA. So I, you know, I wrote back and I said, we wouldn't be comfortable having access to the VIP area if it meant we had to agree to an NDA. And knowing that that may cost us the ability to have any interviews at all. 
And in that case, there was no NDA. It was like, no, it would just be, we'll put you on the list. And it's just a quieter place to record. Like, okay, yeah, we don't have a problem with that. But, but yeah, it, it gets, it gets murky if you're trying to cover stuff and you're giving up your ability to share any of it. You're not really media, I guess is my point. You're not real media. Not how I define it. Not like press. You're not no. press. But and that's, that's the thing problem. is a we lot don't of have that stuff press. is still required of what is just qualified as yes. an influencer anymore. Right. And that's where I just think that that's just broadly, there's a lot of ignorance. You know, it's, it's as simple as finding yourself a podcast hosting site and getting a microphone or grabbing some cameras and, and making a YouTube account or, you know, getting Microsoft Word and, and a website to host at to be able to share stuff and be immediately tagged as an influencer. Uh, your level of influence isn't relevant, as you noted. You're just mm-hmm. you're an influencer at that point. But a lot of people don't do the background research uh, to know about the disclosure rules that do exist, at least for the Americans that are doing this work. Right. No, I would be very surprised if the rules were lesser for a lot of other nations than they are in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yep. So... So uh, I guess to to fellow pinball uh, content creators, be careful. Uh, the guide is really short uh, that Tony linked. I had not read that one before. Yeah, no, uh, it's, it's real super fast short. Read. Yeah. yeah, it's not. It's not it's hard. Like this pages. is not hard. This is not hard. But do it. Yeah, because it basically amounts to if you can be materially helped in any way, shape, or form by it, tell people about it. That's what it amounts to. Well, Tony, I think we can finally go to holy crap! This episode's long. We can finally go to video games. Yeah, we're 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 moving from pinball into video games at the hour forty-five mark. Yeah, this is going to be a big one. So after that, moving into our video game segment, which we had skipped last week, um, I did not go back and pull a lot of the information from the two weeks prior. I probably should have, but I caught enough new stuff coming into this one that I decided, nah, we're just going to let it be. Even though there was some big news back then with the whole bots buying all the PlayStations and the video cards and everything else. Yeah, roger, roger. (laughs) So, moving in. uh, I've already talked about Star Wars Squadrons, so I don't have to bring that one back up again. So, let's talk about Sony. Uh, Go web. Quick. Quick. <laughs> Sony is launching a remastered version of the Spider-Man game. Uh, the Marvel Spider-Man, which I played and beaten. Uh, it's a very enjoyable game. Um, but for the, they're doing a remaster for the next-gen console. So for the PS5, they had to change the actor for Peter Parker. Because what they'd apparently done was they used one actor for the facial motion capture. And they used a totally different actor to overlay that facial motion capture uh, for the actual look. And what it amounts to is they say it looked bad. When they up, when, when they moved everything up to the PS5, it didn't look good because their facial features were too far different. So they found a new actor, did the facial, did grab his face, mapped it onto the facial motion capture from the original motion capture actor. So they say it looks much better. And it's completely coincidental that this guy looks a lot like Tom Hardy. Uh, not Tom Hardy. Tom, Tom Holland. Holland. 
that that that's just a complete coincidence. Hmm, what a happy coincidence! What a happy quinky dink! But the thing is, is there has been a pretty large backlash from players of this game. Hmm. Why do they hate Tom? I don't think that it's. You know, I don't know. Uh, is I it because he's whiny and he's I always fighting with a uh, Jake Gyllenhaal? <laughs> It could be. It very well could be. Um, I just don't understand. Oh, actually, I, I do. It has to be a money thing. But I don't understand why they didn't just take whoever was going to be the face and use them for the facial capture. Yeah, I don't. I don't get it. Why are there two separate people for this? Uh, <laughs> that makes zero sense to me. Um, at all. So. I don't know. It's not something that I'm worked up in arms about. I I don't care that much because I didn't play the game and stare at and stare at Peter Parker's face all the time and it, uh, whatever. It was just it's a weird change in a weird backlash to me. Hmm. Oh yeah, it's it sounds really weird. Yeah. So, uh I'm going to go ahead and segue off of that one into Cyberpunk 2077. Oh, I'm so excited for this. Everybody's excited for Cyberpunk 2077. Except for maybe the employees. Because CD Projekt Red has pushed this game back. I don't know how many times now. I think at least three. At least three times they've pushed that game back now. And they promised... Their employees and made it, I mean, they told, like, reporters this, that there would be no crunch leading up to the game's release. And that's part of the reason they've pushed the game back so many times. So when they sent out an email to their employees apologizing, but there's going to be a mandatory crunch where the employees are required to work six days a week for the next six weeks until the game releases. Mm, that seems kind of like a an issue, seeing as you were all like, oh, we're not going to do uh, the crunch. We yeah. know how terrible the crunch is. You're being real generous with us saying it's an, an issue. Holy cow. I mean, it's, it's, I guess it, they, they must be really feeling the, like, maybe CD Project Red doesn't have the rock star ability to delay as long as they want and the fans will always forgive them. I'm wondering they're finally feeling the heat. I think that they're afraid if they don't get it out by holiday, their sales are going to be way low. This game's so hyped, though. I don't understand how they could think that. Yeah, I agree. yeah, I don't, I don't get it. But uh, the studio lead, Adam Badowski, uh, sent an employee out to emails, and, and it says, "And I quote: I take it upon myself to receive the full backlash for the decision. I know this is in direct opposition to what we've said about crunch. It is. It's also in direct opposition to what I personally grew to believe a while back that crunch should never be the answer." But we've extended all or expended all other possible means of navigating the situation. When the news story broke, this was followed up by a tweet. And the tweet reads These last six weeks are our final sprint on a project we've all spent much of our lives on, something we care for deeply. The majority of the team understands that push, especially in light of the fact that we 
just sent the game to CERT, and every day brings us visibly closer to shipping a game we want to be proud of. This is one of the hardest decisions I've had to make, but everyone will is well compensated for every extra hour they put in, and like in recent years, 10% of the annual profit our company generates in 2020 will be split directly amongst the team. I want to know what well compensated means. I... Do the employees think they're well compensated? Because I found throughout my life that what management thinks is well compensated and what employees think is well compensated are very different things. Yeah. Plus, I, I, the last line's the one that stuck with me. It's like, oh, like, what is this, a reminder? Hey, 10% of the annual profit's going to be split amongst the team. Yeah, but you do that every year. So that's right. not special. That's nothing special. That's so- like someone telling me, hey, Dennis, you're going to get, you're going to get paid at the end of this month. Oh, right. really? Wow. The same amount as usual? Oh, wow. That's what, amazing. How generous of you. A bunch of crap. Holy cow. No, I mean, we have seen time and time again, and there has been major discussions, uh, over the last several years about just how bad the crunch is. Oh, it's and like the most, it's the most hated aspect of it. I know plenty of people who are programmers. Crunch is why they won't go into video games. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I, I, I've had enough jobs where I worked insane hours before and still the thought of what the hours some of these people put into the crunches are crazy. I mean, we're talking about. 12 to 16 hour days, seven days a week for months on end. Yeah. And to me, sleeping at work because they don't have time to go home. I don't, I don't get it. To me, crunch is, is a testament to terrible planning. Yeah. Because if you don't, it's like, do you, is there no project management management? I know COVID has really shaken things up, but again, as you've noted, Cyberpunk has been delayed repeatedly, so they've been adjusting for the. F- I just, I, I mean, yeah. it just looks like I they mean, don't. know. This game was doing. originally what a February release. Yeah, I think so. Are they just that pushed up to make it a 2020 release? Here's the thing, and I and I'm going to blatantly steal this line that I saw on Twitter. They're not curing cancer. They're making a video game. Why does it matter if it's late? I mean, as you noted, the only thing that off the top of my head that makes sense to me is that they're concerned about missing the holiday sales window. But again, this is this is CD Projekt Red. They are have often been by various influencers and video game media referred to as basically second only to Rockstar in terms of fan support. They are they are release date proof. They could release this thing on February 2nd and it will sell. Yeah. There are so many people that are. That I have other companies to move their release dates to avoid them. That's how powerful they are. Right. There is no reason for this crunch. No, I agree. Uh, I agree. This if is if wrong. they have to do this, then they should have pushed again. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yes, I agree with what you said. They're not quite Rockstar level. Rockstar can push a game for a decade, and then just have just that game for a decade, and nobody cares. Yeah, but I think maybe, maybe maybe the difference is Rockstar doesn't change their date publicly three times. So they just wait. It's ready when it's ready. And then they, you know, like Valve time. Valve right. doesn't go around saying, yeah, you're going to get Half-Life 3 in 2019 and then miss the date. They just don't tell you. Right. And and I think, I think 
that might be the thing where they shot themselves by giving a release date because as many jokes are made about it, the truth of the matter is it'll be done when it's done is fine. Yeah. So what a mess. Jeez. It's, I might, I might punish CD project red, not buy this game until it's on sale. Maybe punishments only go so far. (laughs) Maybe we'll see. Uh, I, 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 I haven't see for me, CD project red. Isn't that, mystical because uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I no. don't have the experience that a lot of people I, do with them yeah i mean i think their games have gotten better over time witcher 3 is a lot of fun but you know outside of that they don't it's not it isn't rockstar yeah it's not i mean and, and it's not it's not skyrim i'm not i'm not playing it on uh pregnancy test you know so. what i think microsoft should just buy them oh that would be you know what that's one thing that I didn't include in this list that I know we've not talked about. And we oh, should. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess we could touch on it. So, my, yeah, Microsoft buying Zenimax. Right. You know what? Yeah, because, yeah, yeah, they should that buy big, You think that's big enough to mention? Yeah, that's big enough to mention. <laughs> so, Zenimax includes id Software, Bethesda. Yeah, it others. is. I mean, it's everybody. Here's the thing. The core of the video games that I really enjoy spending a ton of time in and playing, I'm talking Fallout, Elder Scrolls, Doom, all of that is a Microsoft project, a product now. And, and it was, it was a like seven, seven and a half billion dollar purchase. Yeah, I think about 7.5. Yeah. But here's the thing. In the console wars for the last generation, Sony won. I mean, there's no doubt. Sony won. They had the better games. They had the better studios. And Microsoft has been, as we've spoken about at length, shoring up their position by buying the better, by buying more studios to put out more. Uh, uh, yeah. They're trying to achieve parity on the exclusives. They Excuse win. That's what it looks like. It's what it looks like. If they do, even if they just do timed exclusives with the, you know, with Elder Scrolls 6, with whatever the next Fallout is, with whatever the next Doom is, I know there's, they've, the Bethesda has several games that are, in, that are, they've got several games that are too soon to release for them to start throwing on even timed exclusives. But if they start hitting timed exclusives on some of these big Bethesda games, I mean, that's a solid kidney shot to Sony. That is a huge yeah. kidney soft. Do you think Sony. that they're going to only be timed exclusives? I don't know that Xbox will actually put in even a, an exclusive lock. Well, I mean, I, I, as I, owners, I, they could always change their mind later. But right. I mean, my, my thinking is that while they have some made some statements in the past about not being the biggest fans of exclusivity, they've also had the biggest struggle with doing it. Right. And I don't think you spend $7.5 billion to allow people to play Elder Scrolls on Sony. That's now they want to be console exclusive. These are going to be on PC for sure. Right. That's all part of Microsoft's strategy. But I other than sustaining things that are already out on the other systems, I just especially when you're thinking, if I'm them and you're thinking, well, we have a three hundred dollar Microsoft uh Series S uh coming out that's next gen and it's affordable. You know what? People can buy our buy something from us and play the game or play it on their PC. They 
there we don't need to I mean there are they'd make more money if it's if it's broad based but if the goal is to move hardware or get people onto Microsoft platforms then they need to deal with the exclusivity or else it doesn't really drive that That's it would true. just be like an investment oh let's let's get into more software development let's buy Zenimax cuz we think in 5 years we'll make our investment back but I don't think that's the strategy. I think the strategy is to make Xbox sell more consoles. And if they start making some of these games exclusive, I mean, if Elder Scrolls Six is exclusive to the Xbox platform, I can tell you there are going to be huge numbers of people that are buying Xboxes or are going to be playing it on computer. Sure. It's the same thing as when uh, Sony announced that they were getting exclusively the next uh, Final Fantasy. Yeah. People are going to buy that console just that. That's why I bought the PS1 is I want to play Final Fantasy VII. That's why I bought it. Yeah. I. The reason I bought a PS4 was because everything I wanted to play on Xbox, I could play on the computer. Yep. And since that part's going to – I think, uh, you know, I, this will this will probably upset some people that were planning to only buy uh, PS5, obviously. Right. Uh, and and don't game on PC. So I think they're going to be really annoyed because, I mean, quite frankly, of any studio, Zenimax uh, is the one I care. I mean, Zenimax is the one I cared about the most. Uh, right. I, I I like Doom. I like Wolfenstein, uh, Fallout, Elder Scrolls. They're all really, really good. Uh, you know, I've seen more stuff come from id. Is There's just, it's just, it's a really good assortment that they got with Zenimax. I was... There were all these rumors that they might buy Bungie and make Bungie first party. This is so much bigger than Bungie. This is way bigger than Bungie. And Bungie kind of pulled away. I mean, Bungie, why would Bungie go back into that? I didn't get it because they just got their independence from Activision. Right. Why would they go back into something like that? Now. Right. Unless they're struggling. Right. Now, if Xbox would buy Activision Blizzard, or at least I just want them to buy the Blizzard, Blizzard section of Activision and say, "Here, go back to just being Blizzard." That would be awesome. Would uh, be. One interesting thing about this purchase that jumped out to me almost immediately because I'm that kind of geeky guy is with Xbox owning Bethesda now and Xbox owning Obsidian Games. Mm-hmm. I see where you're going. We could get a sequel. To Fallout Vegas. New Vegas, yeah, or or a new Fallout game that has the depth and story of New Vegas. Because of all the modern Fallout games, I consider New Vegas the best, and I think it's because of what Obsidian did with it. Mm. I think it's the best story. I would yes. say that. that if I could have the story and the individual character control. Uh, that I that I had with New Vegas, with the actual combat system and play of four, I would be happy. Hmm. Maybe you'll get it. I did also read an uh, uh, interview with John Carmack, who people might know from the id Software days. He's been mm-hmm. mostly working VR lately. But uh, he mentioned now that Microsoft uh, owns ZeniMax, he may uh, go back and work on some, I guess, some of the older titles that he used to be associated with. Apparently he had a big falling out with like litigation uh, with him and Zenimax. And so he was not, he was not viewed very favorably within the Zenimax uh, 
a corporate structure, but a lot of that may now be under the bridge because they're not there anymore. It'll be Microsoft and they don't have the baggage about the lawsuit with him. So that would be I nice. Know, I mean, Carmack is a genius. So yeah, it would be interesting. I would really like to see him doing more than dink around in VR. That would be interesting. You know, also not in our notes. I came real close to buying a VR set the other day. Mm. And I'm still considering it. Uh, I, I've actually been looking at where my stuff is set up here. And with my new computer that can handle it easy and with the way everything's set up here, uh, I actually have some beams that run above me that would allow me to run the wires across the run the wires in a way that I wouldn't have to risk tripping on wires. So I've begun actually researching VR uh, as a possibility, but it's still expensive and we'll see. Probably wouldn't be till next spring, but I'm looking at it. So, uh, (laughs) it's just so I can play Beat Saber, man. Mm -hmm. Why else would I need it? It's just, it's just for Beat Saber. It's totally not because there's all sorts of games out there that that let me do VR cockpit combat stuff like oh I don't know Star Wars Squadrons and uh, the Eve Valkyrie and anything else that lets me get my space combat fix. <laughs> yeah, those don't count. Those don't count. It's totally for Beat Saber. Just see, just see my my my, my chunkiness bouncing around. Doing Beat Saber stuff. Oh, man. That'd be almost as bad as DDR. (laughs) For our last topic here in video games, I want to hit on something that we haven't talked about in a while. Not since March, maybe May, uh, that we've gotten in real depth. Not since COVID tore it up. And that's the Overwatch League. Yeah, They're just about uh, next weekend is Grand Finals. Right. Next weekend's Grand Finals. So they're just about done. And... Uh, the teams that did not make it to grand finals are doing massive, <laughs> massive clean sweeps, dropping players and coaches. My personal team of choice, the London Spitfire, who finished in like 17th this year and last in the Pacific League, as I recall. Yeah, they had uh, a rough season. Yeah, they have already dumped their entire coaching staff. And considering they dumped all of their good players coming into this year. It's not a surprise they had a bad year. But in addition to all that, uh, Pete, I'm going to slaughter his last name. Vlastikula? Vlastikula? Vlastikula, however you say it. Uh, he's the president and CEO of Activision Blizzard, and he's also been the commissioner of the Overwatch League uh, for this season. Well, he's stepping down as the commissioner following the end of the grand finals this season. Ah, mm. uh, yes. And uh, like we were saying, this season has been really, really, really rough on the Overwatch League as a whole. Uh, between this being the season that they were starting to do all of their live in-person games in their home city games instead of just being in the in L.A. And then COVID happened. So Overwatch League was forced to 
convert themselves from a home game in an arena, huge crowds, to an actual online playing from your uh, team house area league in just overnight uh, to handle COVID and still be able to actually play this year. And I know that was a huge strike for most of the teams financially, uh, teams that some of which are already not doing great financially. And the question is, is how well do we really think this shift has happened and how badly hurt has Overwatch been by this? Because I know their viewer numbers are way down. Yeah. I mean, there are a mix of factors in play. I th- a part of it is that while I think it has gotten a lot better the last three months or so, uh, there were that the game has been stagnant because it seems like they're putting all their resources into Overwatch 2. Mm-hmm. And so we were not seeing meta shifts very quickly. They tr- they kind of masked that by doing uh, hero pools, which I think for Overwatch League w- was a good move, but they were super inconsistent. Like it took them a while to find their footing on the hero pools. So it was changing weekly and no one was learning anything. And it was like, we're watching pros, but the pros don't even have enough time to set a meta and, and then they, they slowed it up and there were just, there were all these weird, you know, in an attempt to keep it lively. And I think it has been more lively in terms of seeing different characters doing different things at different points in the year than in the prior two seasons of Overwatch. So I have enjoyed it from that perspective, but they ended up fragmenting the Atlantic and Pacific style. Uh, but you had weird things. So like New York is over in the Pacific division. London's and, in the Pacific division. Yeah, good and good luck trying to watch those games. Because they're all like New York was usually given the last time spot uh, to appeal to the American audience. And that still usually meant on paper a 5 a.m. Central start time, 4 a.m. Eastern. And sometimes it was done before then because Shanghai Dragons are so good. <laughs> the first game ends quick. So, <laughs> so it's amazing it, saying uh, Shanghai Dragons yeah, are so good. I mean, the, yeah, I think. I think a lot of the team owners are probably really frustrated because they were supposed to have a lot of ticket sales and merch that was going to be revolving around those homestands. And they were really well attended the few we had before COVID shut things down. Right. So there's that coupled with Valorant poached some of the, that, and that slowed up some, but some of the most popular names like Sinatra and Baby Bay uh, and Corey, they went to Valorant or they think they're going to Valorant. So they left Overwatch League. Um, I think getting cooped up also start, you know, they people get burned out. A lot of these are a lot of these players are kids. Like I mean, they're over 18, but they're kids. They don't it's the first time they haven't lived at home. Uh, and then you're told that you can't do anything and you're kept under I mean, it's just it's just bur- here here's my biggest gripe besides the time thing because it was hard to watch. My team was New York and it was hard to watch them. Yeah. Uh Holy crap. This has gone this season was way too long. Way too long. That we're still that I don't have grand finals done yet pisses me off. I'm just like this has been the whole big thing was how they were going to go down from burning out the players by having them play 40 games in a season to cutting it like in half, but it feels like the season's been even longer. I just just and I've been trying to watch. I still watch fairly regularly. I think the numbers dropped 
because the times are different. You know, it wasn't all built around LA. Some of them couldn't follow their teams anymore because right. they're now off in, you know, Pacific time, weird, you know, weird, uh, weird time zones that aren't built around the American audience. And then there were the drops because of the move to YouTube. That was a mess. Oh yeah, uh, that mean, was terrible. You had to find out in any way. You had to find out that they moved to YouTube. So good luck if you're still following them on just Twitch. And then there were no drops or incentives until like July. So there was no like gameplay reason to get cosmetic skins to you know, you know, they had Lulu's, they had incentives for people to want to watch Overwatch League, and they didn't have those this year. Uh and yeah, you lose the whole stage vibe. I mean, part of the fun with Overwatch League was in the downtime where the desk was talking, seeing people hold up the signs and just, it was goofy. You know, yeah. there was a, there was a gamerness to it that is just now it's just watching like streamers. Uh, and there's tech issues all over the place. The I, tech issues have been one of the things that, that have hurt it a lot for me. And it's the, been, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, I mean, there have been some major tech. I mean, and it got better. As you know, they learned as they went along. But I mean, even I was watching the the All Stars stuff uh, yesterday. They did All Stars, mm-hmm. and uh, there's still issues where people like forget to unmute their mics, or they're 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 talking through Discord, but we don't hear them through Discord. So they're like unmuted in one, and like unmuted in Discord, but muted on YouTube. It's weird. It's just, and then they don't realize it, and it gets it's just goofy. It's just goofy. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I blame COVID for almost all of this. I don't think I think the commissioner did what he could, given the hand he was dealt. Right, and I think it, I think it was a bad hand overall. But, but the yeah, thing that it, yeah. I mean, it's been it's not been boring like Goats was boring. So I've actually enjoyed the gameplay this season far more than season two. But uh, it's it's just been difficult. It just it's just this constant chipping away. You have games that were to catch up. They were running games on Friday. The the grand finals that starts at 3 a.m. on Thursday. Yeah, oh, I'm not watching that. No I have to work. So I just, I mean, it's just a mix of stuff. So yeah, uh, I think it will be better next year, even if we're still dealing with COVID. If for no other reason than they are more used to it and they will have a better plan. Well, hopefully they've got they finished getting all the uh, bugs figured out with their. Uh, switching because I know early in the season they had the problems where they would occasionally just like cut away from what was going on to nothing for a while. Yeah, the the video uh, stuff got better. The the sound has been more of an issue, and YouTube and initially de-sync. was a mess. Yeah, because I, I know, uh, I know when I watched, yeah, when I watched the other day, there was I was still having audio desync issues the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's been unfortunate. Yeah, it was rough. It was definitely a rough one for them because I normally watch between four and five in the morning because I wake up between four and five in the morning. So I watch the that stuff, and then the afternoon stuff. I only watch certain ones on occasion. I just it's changed how it is. We'll see going forward how next year works out. It's curious to see how this. Uh, all of the esports are going to make changes, just like regular sports made changes, um, due to all this. So, yep. well, but I think we got through everything. 
I think so. I think I think we definitely hit enough. This is definitely going to be a longer episode, even with all the cuts. Mm-hmm. Well, if people want to reach out to us about anything we covered in the episode, they can email eclecticgamerspodcast at gmail dot com or go to facebook dot com slash eclecticgamerspodcast. We're available on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch as eclectic underscore gamers. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks to be the last people to cover JJP's reveal. Yes, we will. Until then, I'm Dennis. And I'm Tony. Goodbye. Bye.